James chapter 2, come in from the back. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. And uh, so it's James chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy we show to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks, Phil. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed the sunshine. I know I have. Thank you for the great walk. It was good. And for those who've been welcoming me today, thank you so much. Uh, it really means a lot. And uh, obviously, I bring greetings to you from Worthing Tabernacle. It's, uh, it's great to be in fellowship today and to share in God's Word. So uh, keep your Bibles open or turn on your iPads or wherever you're doing uh, to the Epistle of Straw, as Luther once infamously called it, James chapter 2. Just a, a question just to pop into your mind to think about and anyone who is in the afternoon seminar and probably in the morning you already know the answer to this but is it actually possible to be a Christian if you aren't regularly participating in the life of the local church? James is going to show us that we can't really be God's people without being part of a church. It's really hard to see how the Bible works, how the Bible can actually be lived out without a church. And this passage is a case in point because it's all about what happens in a meeting, in the gathering, in the assembly, when you come in for worship, how you interact with others. And this is something you simply cannot do on your own. And there's a very simple teaching point here, and it's this. 
Don't show favouritism to anyone who comes in. Be completely welcoming, not critical, not making those judgments about them, but just loving them. Total, unconditional welcome. It's pretty simple stuff. Everything I'm going to share with you this afternoon is, is kind of boiling down to that. Total, unconditional welcome. But the scary thing is, the really frightening thing is, it's not up to us to see whether that's working. You don't get a say in that. We don't assess how well we're doing. We don't comment or complain about it. Our task is total, unconditional welcome. It is the outsider, the visitor, the one on the receiving end of that welcome who is the one who will assess and know whether or not it's working. And let me tell you, the number one by a mile reason why somebody will go to a church once and then never return is that they haven't been welcomed. They feel judged. They've sat on their own. And they've felt it to be an unfriendly place. And it's so obvious and so clear in this text, isn't it? Verse 1 is the summary verse. Everything else is unpacking this verse. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Everything else is going to explain more about what that looks like. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Really simple. I love James for this. It's your job to make everyone, no matter who they are, everyone feel totally welcome in church. There's nothing hard to understand here, is there? But let me tell you, it's really hard to actually do it. Really hard. But in our understanding, it should be fairly simple. James continues, listen, brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, all that James is saying here, it's not as if he's like pro-poor and anti-rich. That would be to misunderstand it. He's actually continuing this teaching point in verses 1 to 4 about being welcoming. If everyone is welcome unconditionally, that includes the very, very poorest, obviously. And it includes the wealthy. They're welcome. Everyone's welcome. And and remember, someone might be rich, James reminds us, because they're exploiting you, verse 6. So don't cozy up too quickly just because you think they look like they're well healed. No, everyone's welcome. In fact, don't look too much at those external things and make judgments about people. Don't look at them at all. Just welcome them. It's really simple. Total, unconditional welcome. No criticism about how someone looks or is. Just loving them and being a welcomer. James is ramming this home. 
really ramming it home, so that church becomes this real special place of safety, a real place like a nest, a home for people to come into. And that ought to be, and and I think today it clearly is, a massive contrast to what most people experience day to day out there in the world, whatever it is we're doing. For many of you, what you do during the week is seriously hard graft. You're in a macho office environment and it's full of swearing and gossip and criticism and favouritism is being shown, but never to you. You're caring for somebody with Alzheimer's. You're bringing up children who have got learning difficulties. You're your whole life feels like it's being pulled apart at the seams and then you come into church one day a week and it should feel like a sanctuary from all of these other things. Six days a week you're made to feel like a green-headed monster from planet church and then you come in and the Lord's day and you're supposed to come into church to God's people. We've seen that. We have to be there. And we've got to see that there's no favouritism at all in stark contrast to everything else. When you've had a rough week, when it's been one of those awful weeks and you come into church and you think, this is God's place. This is a refuge for me. This is like a, a shaft of heavenly light just glowing on the earth and I want to be there, safe. It's a haven for me and I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be welcomed in and to be loved and received just as I am without any of that rubbish that I get the rest of the time. I belong here with my brothers and sisters. I really belong and I need to be with God's people. That's the experience we all, I hope, would desire that you would have at Bishop Hannington. But it's something we really, really need to work on, each and every one of us. We need to continue to work at being a welcoming church. As you think about worship, as you you have high expectations from Phil for the preaching, it's no good if Phil preaches the best sermon of his life. And the music has been awesome. Someone cuts you down the second you walk through the door. It's not going to help anybody. We need to work hard at this. And verse 8 is going to help us a lot here. Remember the context. The context here clearly is this total unconditional welcome. And James says, if you really keep the royal law that's found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. Remember how Jesus summarises the law, the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. And James emphasises the second part of that. Don't forget that, yes, we, we do love the Lord. There is a vertical aspect to worship, of course. But there's this really important horizontal stuff as well, which is totally linked to the vertical. Think back to when that law was first given. When the law was given to the the children of Israel. You've got a bunch of of Hebrews there stuck in Egypt. They're in bondage, in slavery. And they're enslaved to Pharaoh and the conditions are horrendous. And then the angel of the Lord turns up in the non-burning bush, remember, and, and, and confronts Moses. 
and Moses leads the people out of slavery with the Lord and all the plagues and everything else. And where do they end up? They end up at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And then in Exodus 19, we start to see the law being given. But there at the mountain, you know, remember the experience that they had. It was terrifying. There was thunder and the earth was shaking and the people were so full of awe and fear that they, they, they didn't know what to do. They were struck. It was incredible. It was awesome. This awesome mountaintop worship experience. And then comes the law. Let me tell you about how to live your life now that I've redeemed you and taken you out of slavery. You are my people. And as my redeemed people, I want you to live and, and be a certain way. And worship me in a certain way. So he, he tells them all about sickness and personal property and angry pets and what clothes you can and can't wear and how to deal with liars in the assembly and what you do with the children, how you should feast together, what sort of food you can and can't eat, and so on and so forth. And if you're an Israelite that day and you're thinking, hang on a minute, isn't... You just isn't this like the pinnacle of everything we longed for? The awesome worship experience at the mountain. When the law's given, you realise, I have been gathered to God, unmistakably. But I've also been gathered together with these other people. Two million or so Israelites. So Jesus summarises the law and the prophets and he says, Not... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Then go home and have a cup of tea and watch the Grand Prix. I've had my mountaintop worship experience. I've, I've, it's me and Jesus. I've come into church and it's been awesome. And I go home. The idea of church as a preaching centre where you pitch up and you listen to a good sermon and go home and it means nothing more than that. It's just me and Jesus, me and God at the mountain. That's the sort of thing that James is really warning us about here. Remember the royal law. You are the people of the king, the people of the risen king. And the royal law is that you are gathered not only to God, but also to each other. And so James chapter 2 verse 8, if, <coughs> excuse me, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, you're doing right. It's right it's the right way to do things this is how we love god this is a, a key expression of our worship and love for the lord to love our neighbors as ourselves and the implication here is that again if you you can't really live faithfully as a christian not to say you can't be a christian but you can't live faithfully as a christian without being committed to and involved in the lives of those you've been gathered to so I don't know if you've ever met someone who says, oh, you know, I'm really into my doctrine. They're just really not very nice people. You know, they take their doctrine really, really seriously so I can be right. And doctrine's serious, don't get me wrong. But they're not really serving. They're not really loving you. They're not reaching out and welcoming you. Or somebody who says, well, I'm an evangelist. I've got a gift of evangelism and uh, really church is getting in the way of all that I need to do as an evangelist, sharing the gospel with people. So I just kind of go out on my own and do that on my own. Well, that is showing favoritism to yourself. This is one of the hardest ways we, we need to think this through, when we show favoritism to ourselves. 
Verse 9 says if you've shown favoritism to yourself or to anyone else, you sin. You are convicted. You're a lawbreaker. You aren't loving your neighbour as yourself. And you should. Now I assume you guys have a formal welcome team at BH. I'm pretty sure you do. Stewards or whatever. It's those who open doors and give out notice sheets and smile and yada yada yada. But the, the, the mini, the, that ministry team is really, really important for that first contact. But it is the ministry of the few. And they're handing over now to the ministry in the pew. So absolutely every one of you is in the welcome team. Do you know that? There are those who have certain jobs to do, but you are all part of the welcome team. You are all welcomers and greeters and those who are given to make everybody feel loved and warmly welcomed into the fellowship, each and every one of you, because you are to love your neighbour as yourself. This is controversial. Do you sit in the same seat every week? (laughs) Just a suggestion that if you maybe moved around a little bit, you might get to know a few more people. You might be able to welcome and greet a few more people. You might be able to reach out and, uh, and, and understand the lives of somebody new. You might just do that. What can I pray for for you, brother? What's going on in your life, sister? How can I help you? Do you need a lift home? How are the kids? What's going on? And it's just so right when that happens to you, isn't it? Don't you feel loved? Don't you feel important? Don't you feel that someone has taken a real interest in you when that happens to you? You go home and think, yeah, that was amazing. That's Church is just a great place to be, part of the people and community of God. And I just love the Lord because this is what he's created. What a wonderful thing he's created and brought me into. I love my Lord and you want to worship him all the more. And if we all do this, if everybody is active in being totally and unconditionally welcoming all the time, anyone who comes in will say, I love the Jesus that I see in you. I hear about him from Phil and in the songs, and that's great, but I love seeing him at work in you. Incredibly powerful. If you've been going into church... Bishop Hannington Church, Worthing Tabernacle, uh, from, from that place of everyone during the week at work has been biting at me and using me and abusing me and leaving me out and not thanking me and running me down. All week I've tried so hard to be a good Christian in the workplace, to love my kids and bring them up in the law and the, in the love and fear of the Lord. I've done that all week, but it's so hard can't wait to get to church and be accepted and be loved and find that refuge and sanctuary. I need to be at my church where I know people will love me and appreciate me. I know that people will be like Jesus to me. They will lay down their lives to serve me and to love me. But there's a warning here, verse 9. There's a warning. This is already positive. This is what we want. But there is a warning. If you show favoritism, you sin, James says. Do you ever find yourself thinking or saying, Do I have to talk to him? Sit next to her? I can't talk to her. She's a nightmare. Or once he starts talking, 
he just doesn't stop, so I just maybe avoid that little conversation. We all have moments like that, let's be honest. We have to examine ourselves, our hearts, don't we? Not one of us can say we never struggle to show some favouritism. Who is it that you naturally gravitate towards? People of similar age, similar background perhaps? Who do you naturally gravitate towards? You've got to know that so that you can kind of fight against the desires of the flesh to be comfortable in that situation and stick with what you know and not step out and sacrifice and meet somebody different. Who are you most likely to favour? I want to throw something in here specifically about children in church. Do the children, you know, little ones, do the children feel part of the family? at Bishop Hannington Church? Do they know that they're wanted? Are they welcomed in this total and unconditional sense as well? Or are they always kind of ferried off to different parts where they can be quiet and we can all be adults together? You sit there by my feet. Verse 3. Do you actually communicate with them when you see them? Hey little man! I love the stickers by the way. That's what that's all about. Ask me. Hey, little man, how was, how was your group this morning? Was it good? You better come and talk to me next week. I love seeing you in church. Are you going to be here? You know, it's all good stuff. We can all do this. If the children don't feel welcomed, if the children don't feel loved and accepted and wanted and safe because people aren't constantly criticising them for being children, I shall not suffer the little children. You know, it's mad, isn't it? But it, they need to feel loved and accepted and welcomed. And you need to tell them that and actively work towards it. Do we favour the adults? It's one to think through, isn't it? Conversely, you could actually end up showing children, young people, way too much favour. You never give them the opportunity to think or to serve, <coughs> excuse me, or do any of these things themselves. Because they're constantly being spoon-fed and, and, and treated with kid gloves. Oh, it's a risk when you ask your youth to get involved in the service, for sure. But it's telling them, I value you. I want you to be involved. I want you to serve. I want you to open the doors. All of these things. Giving them a great opportunity to actually exercise the faith that you need to teach them in those groups. But they need to practice it too because they're Christians, hopefully. Or you're teaching them how to be Christians and showing them what the Christian life looks like. Give them the opportunity to do that. We need to constantly check ourselves. Am I loving my neighbour? Am I showing favouritism? Am I welcoming actively? Am I actually participating in this? Well, as it goes on here, from verse 10, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. The guys are studying Galatians. They'll have read that in Galatians uh, today, the young people. But for he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. And you're kind of thinking, well, yeah, that's obvious. But you see what James is doing here? Continuing the same theme of welcome and showing favouritism. Church must be this refuge and loving our church family. But if you 
If you break the law, the royal law, not loving your neighbour as yourself, you sin. You become a lawbreaker. You might be thinking, well, I don't commit murder and adultery. I've never seen a murder in church. We asked this one at the seminar. When was the last time you saw a murder in church? Actually, you'd be surprised how often it happens. If you think about the language of Scripture. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something that is against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Just being angry with someone from church is murder. I think in church we can almost have a, a sense of just accepting this. You know, that knowing smile, oh yeah, huh, those two don't get on, do they? But that's not acceptable. We shouldn't find that okay. It's not funny. Murder is never acceptable. And most of us, I know, you and me, will have been murdered at some point in church or have murdered someone else. Loads of people are scared to serve. Because there was that one time they did serve and somebody criticised and killed their desire to do it again. Killed their desire to serve. Crushed that sense that I want to be part of God's people. Anyone who is called to serve in some way in church, whatever that is, whether it's you know, the preaching, the music team, the, the creche, whoever makes the teas and coffees, those people are not actually answerable to you, to everybody else in the assembly. They're answerable to their leadership team, you know, the person who's in charge of the tea rota, maybe, and ultimately then up the chain through to your leadership team your, to fill. So if you didn't like the strength of your coffee or how a certain hymn was played, you've got no right to share that opinion. That's just going to kill. You're so deaf and ruin one little comment is soul destroying isn't it utterly soul destroying if you've been on the receiving end of that you know it's true as an aside there's something if there is something genuinely wrong that did genuinely go wrong it was actually kind of concerning and worrying don't you know obviously your leadership will pick that up the ministry leaders should pick that up phil will pick that up trust them to sort it out but Everyone is not answerable to everyone else in that sense. We thought a, a little bit in the seminar this afternoon about how good it is to be under authority. We flourish when we're under authority. You might think, well, oh, that's just minor stuff, isn't it? These little things, these comments. These... But it's not trivial. If it's you, is it, that's serving and you felt like someone stabbed you? So verse 12. We are to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom. The thing that destroys churches 
is a judgmental, critical spirit. If it's not welcoming. If it's full of favouritism. You know, I, I like it this way. and you know, They don't like it that way, but whatever. It's very tempting to do it though, isn't it? If we're honest with ourselves. Whether it's criticising Sunday school teachers or the elders, leadership, judging a person who came off the street with their shabby clothes, showing favouritism, being critical. Ultimately, what that does, the very simple thing it does is just divides, doesn't it? If you show favouritism, you create division in the body. And that's what kills churches. We need to heed the warning here in James. Take it very, very seriously. Because that judgmental, critical, divisive, non-welcoming spirit. Look what happens. Verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now, I've, I've not been in this game that long as a pastor, eight years or so, but the backsliding that I've seen every single time, has always begun with the person being critical or being someone who listens to critical people, judgmental people, in, in the wrong place at the wrong time, just listening to the lies. People who just moan, full of judgment, criticising this, that and the other, they're never building up the church. They've always got an angle one way or another on something. That leads to people just falling away. And if you start doing that, if you're critical and you're slandering and, and you're critical of the bride of Christ, if you're criticising Christians and churches, the bride of Jesus Christ, don't be surprised when suddenly Jesus Christ slaps you in the face for what you've been doing. He's bringing judgment on you. He feels distant. I don't feel connected anymore to God because you've pushed yourself out onto the fringe. Again, if you want to know mercy and you want to know love you've got to start being merciful and loving yourself you lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in church welcome without any favoritism love your neighbor as yourself because mercy always triumphs over judgment mercy always triumphs Mercy wins. When you show mercy, when you obey that royal law, the horizontal stuff, you put it into practice, mercy triumphs over all that judgment stuff. Showing love and mercy will drive judgmentalism and moaners and grumblers away. The wolves will do a runner. Mercy wins. Mercy always wins. Now, Church is, you know, I'm sorry to say this, Phil, but BH is never going to be perfect until Jesus returns. Right? We, we know that. This side of Christ's return, church is not perfect because we're not perfect yet. And as much as we want every church to be a place that looks like heaven on earth, well, how can we do what we can at least to achieve this as, as best as we can as God's Spirit allows us to? Watch those little words that can kill. But then act on love towards others and welcome towards others. And there is great triumph in this. The church will be triumphant. Life will spring up across the church 
People will flourish. They'll feel liberated to serve. They will want to be there. They'll start bringing their friends because church is the best thing ever. You experience the love and the life of the living God. I hear his word and his voice is clearly sounding from that pulpit. There is no better place on earth to be. This is a law that gives freedom. Freedom to love, to serve, to bring people. I'm going to bring my friend because I know they're not going to be judged. I know they won't. They'll be warmly loved and accepted. When people come into our churches, they should not just hear about the Jesus we worship. They should encounter him in our lives too. Practice what you preach. Simple, isn't it? There's something authentic there. People see that when they come in. So Sundays at Bishop Hannington, Sundays at Worthing Tabernacle should be like spending a day in heaven. Really should. We can aspire to that. We know, obviously, this side of you know, Jesus returning, it's never going to be exactly like that, but let's aspire to it. The attitude that James wants is that when people come in, they're just loved. They taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's pray that church would be like this. Because God, who is rich in mercy, has made you who are poor rich in Christ. God has unconditionally welcomed you. God has loved you, the unlovely, and made you lovely in Jesus. Let's be like God. And let's do this as we live out the Christian life in our church communities, welcoming unconditionally, totally, to all. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the challenge, the instruction. Lord, we know, many of us will know we've fallen in your sight. We have shown favoritism and we have sinned thank you that in Jesus Christ when we repent and we we come and we trust and we we believe Lord we know that we have mercy and forgiveness in Christ that our sins are forgiven Father may our churches here be churches where mercy triumphs over judgment where the love and welcome of a people who have been born again triumphs over the grumble and the criticism Lord Reach down and touch us, we pray, so that our meetings are full of life, that they thrive as you speak to your people and as your people live out your word together here. Bishop Hannington, Worthing Tabernacle, help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.